What's up, everyone? This is Josh, co-founder of Urban Valor. Welcome to another episode of the Urban Valor podcast. Our guest today is Marine Captain Kelsey Hancock. Kelsey grew up in Southern Maryland on the Chesapeake Bay fishing and crabbing. She went to school across the street from Paddockson River Naval Air Station and watched the jets fly over and knew she wanted to be a Marine since the fourth grade. During her enlistment, Kelsey was reunited with a former school colleague at a camping trip in Zion National Park, Marine Captain and V-22 Osprey pilot Nick Lasapio. The two hit it off, started dating, and became engaged. Unfortunately, Captain Nick Lasapio was killed during an Osprey crash in June of 2022, 58 days before he and Kelsey were set to be married. Kelsey has since re-enlisted in the Marines as a reserve officer to help her get back on her feet and to honor where Nick loved to be. If you enjoy this episode, go give us a five-star rating and leave a comment to help support our veterans. The bigger the community, the bigger the impact. If you'd like to contribute your story to Urban Valor or know anyone else who may, please reach out to us on Instagram at Urban Valor TV or you can email us at team at urbanballer.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Kelsey Hancock. I am a captain in the Marine Corps. I served on active duty from 2015 to 2019. I was a communications officer of 602. So I grew up in Southern Maryland, very privileged upbringing, um, had loving parents. I'm the oldest of four and, uh, Got two sisters and a brother who's the favorite out of all of us. We we tend to make fun of him for that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I, I grew up on the Chesapeake Bay, fishing, oh, wow. crabbing, um, just a, a really a really nice childhood, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So, did you play any sports or anything? I did. I I played a bunch of sports, but I think my most memorable time was playing football. <laughs> on a, on a, it was a boys' football team, so shoulder pads mm. and and tackle and everything. Full pads. Full pads. Oh wow! The whole nine yards. <laughs> what did Dad think about that? Um, I remember when I I wanted to sign up the day there were signups. My dad was actually away on a trip, and he called the house and he said, "Are you sure you want to do this? You're like you're gonna get hurt." And I will never forget that conversation with him. I was sitting in my living room and. I remember telling him, I could get hurt any other time, you know, I really want to do this. And he was like, all right. <laughs> all right. And that was like synonymous with the conversation I had with my parents about going into the Marine Corps. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> wow. are you sure you want to do this? Mm. So what, what, uh, what inspired you to join the military? Um, I think a few reasons. I grew up in a, a pretty military heavy community Um, a lot of friends that i had growing up their parents were in the military i don't come from a military family uh, so i didn't really have that familial um, influence Um, but my school growing up was right across from pax river naval air station and so i'd I'd see the jets fly over all the time and i was a pretty patriotic kid growing up Um, you know i loved america and um, I, it, I was in third grade when 9-11 happened. And so those are, are very impressionable years as a kid. You know, everyone was patriotic. Everyone had a flag out in their front yard. Everyone had a flag on their car. And everybody was all about America. And I remember in fourth grade, I, I think I told some of my friends, when I grow up, I want to be a Marine. And I don't even think I knew what that was. I think I just thought, 
the military was the military. I don't even know if I knew that there were different branches of service at that time in my life. And it just, it stuck with me. Wow. And I was, I think, tired of people telling me I couldn't do something because I was a girl and, you know, I had fair share of that growing up. Mm -hmm. I was over it. (laughs) (laughs) So what was that process like on um, becoming an officer in the Marine Corps? Well, I, I went to college first and I went to Norwich University. It's a military school in central Vermont. And I elected to be a Marine option at the school. And I went through Corps of Cadets and went to like Naval Science classes and stuff like that. And um, I also went to OCS. So I went through the commissioning program, PLC, which stands for Platoon Leaders Course where I went to OCS for two summers, one PLC juniors and then the second summer PLC seniors. I graduated and then the very next day I commissioned. Mm. What was uh, what was your experience like in OCS? It was good, not great. <laughs> I, it, it was very challenging, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, it, there were some similarities, things that prepared, that my school prepared me at, at Norwich because we had that, you know, military influence and rank structure and discipline and kind of getting yelled at and going through training indoctrination processes and stuff like that. So um, I was prepared for it in a way, physically and, and mentally. But you know, this was the real deal, and um, I I wouldn't be honest with you if I said I wasn't nervous. Mm. I was definitely nervous and um, it was definitely hard. There were times when I didn't think I was going to make it and I did and by the grace of God. <laughs> um, and I, I just remember there are times where I even question, is this what I'm supposed to do? Am I cut out for this? Am I good enough for this? Um, am I strong enough for this? Both you know, mentally and physically. I just remember saying, okay, God, if this is what I'm supposed to do, just keep opening the doors. And if this is not where I'm supposed to be, just shut the door in my face and make it very obvious that this is not where I'm supposed to be. The doors just stayed wide open. (laughs) (laughs) What unit did you end up getting dropped to? I was with first MLG CLR 17 comm company. Hmm. as a, Camo for Com Company. <laughs> Where are they located? They're in, at Camp Pendleton. Oh, in wow. San Diego. Yeah. Um, what was that like going over to Camp Pendleton from where you grew up? Uh, it was actually pretty awesome. And a, a funny story, when I was little, I used to tell my parents that I was going to go live in California. They're like, why do you want to live in California? And I, I don't know. It just looked cool. I saw you know, the movies. California looked really neat. Um, and I ended up stationed there and that was not where I had original orders. I had original orders to Camp Lejeune and there was a guy in my class who wanted to go where I was going. I was going to some Victor unit. I don't even remember. And um, he didn't want to go to a logistics unit and even though that logistics unit was in sunny San Diego he would have, he wanted to be with the grunts so he said, do you want to do you want to trade orders because there are a couple other students in the class who are swapping orders and the instructors are, are letting us do that. And I said, where are you going? And he goes, Camp Pendleton. And I said, absolutely. Let's go talk to them right now. So we marched ourselves right to the instructor's office and 
was like, hey, this guy wants my orders. Can we swap? And they're like, fine. So nice. that's how I ended up on Camp Pendleton. Nice. Yeah, I was pretty lucky. Um, so what's it like showing up to a new unit as a new officer? Um, that's a great question. I, I was very nervous, and I can imagine everybody else was too. Um, I think I went into my unit feeling a little bit defeated because I, I didn't do so great at comm school. It wasn't my first choice. It's definitely not what I'm great at. And so I didn't really have a whole lot of confidence checking into my unit, thinking that I was going to be like this fantastic platoon commander who knew everything. Um, I, I think I had pretty high expectations for myself and not wanting to fail. So I was pretty nervous. I, for me personally, I think I struggled to make connections with people. It's kind of a combination of the culture, but also kind of what I thought about myself at the time and having pretty low self-confidence and not really knowing how to build connections with other officers. I mean, the officer corps is very competitive from when you're in OCS, you're actually competing against each other. And, um, I mean, even at OCS, you write, you write strengths and weaknesses of your peers and that gets taken into consideration when, you know, you're going through OCS and then TBS, you're also kind of competing because you want to be the best. So you get your first MOS choice. So there's sometimes camaraderie. There's sometimes not. I didn't really experience the camaraderie that I was hoping for. And so I think I kind of went to my first unit a little bit, not knowing how to have connections. And I was the only female officer in my, in my unit. And mm. that has played a part in my military experience. Um, you know, it's not, it's not something I like to dwell on necessarily, but you know, there are times where I was sent back to my schoolhouse when I was trying to do OJT because the unit that I was trying to do OJT with didn't know how to support me. They said, you know, we're going to Bridgeport. I want to go to Bridgeport with you guys. I love military mountaineering. I have experience doing this. Um, you know, we don't know how to support you. Like, well, what do you mean you don't know how to support me? Well, we don't know where you're going to go to the bathroom. We don't know where you're going to sleep, and we don't know what you're going to eat. I'm like, what do you mean you don't know what I'm going to eat? I'm going to, I'm going to piss in the woods like everybody else. I'm going to sleep in a tent just like everybody else, and I'm going to eat MREs just like everybody else. You know, I, I just went to the basic school where, you know, we're using the latrine out in the woods against a tree. And I have like my buddy in my squad to my right, my other buddy to my left on this tree. And, you know, you're like, Hey, <laughs> how's it going? You know, we all have e-tools. So, um, you know, it was a little bit frustrating. Um, you know, I feel like maybe not being taken seriously. Um, and so the confidence is kind of shattered a little bit yeah, so they felt like they had to com accommodate you because you're a woman. Yeah, which I didn't feel like I needed any accommodation because I just spent seven months, you know, rolling through the woods with male and female counterparts, you know, sleeping, using the bathroom, eating yeah. right next to them, just, you know. And you mentioned you've, you've, you've been through some type of... Uh, 
survival training before. Is that right? Yeah, I, I did. Um, it's called Mountain and Cold Weather Company. It was a military mountaineering and cold weather survival unit. It's like a special unit I did at Norwich. And I had to do an indoctrination. I had to pass all these tests. I had to learn rope systems and be able to hike up mountains and do all these you know, physical requirements and ice climbing. And so I'm, I'm familiar with mountaineering and it was a huge passion of mine. So I was, I was really stoked to potentially be able to go and, and do some OGT and, and shadow and S6. Um, because I just, I wanted to know my job and I thought it would have been a fun experience. Mm. They said no. Ah. So I was the only girl and they, this was around the time they started letting women in combat arms. Mm. So it was still pretty new for some people. Um, but it, it didn't have to be weird, but there are people who are making it weird, unfortunately. Mm. So you had to go back to your original unit? Yep. I went back to the schoolhouse and I, I just did Marine net for five months and worked out best shape of my life. I yeah. was just working out all the time. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. What is, uh, talk to me about Marine net. What is, what does that inquire? Oh, there, it's just, you know, annual training requirements, OPSEC, you know, it's ridiculous stuff, mm. but you, you just have to do these, these qualifying courses, um, for security, for knowledge. It's kind of like those checklist things that the Marine Corps has to have you do. Mm-hmm. Um, compliance. Yeah. And compliance. Stuff. Yeah. That kind mm. of stuff. Um, talk to me about some of the good times you had. What was your favorite part of being in the Marines? Um, the Marines, mm-hmm. the Marines themselves. I mean, I still, I still talk to quite a few of my Marines when I was a platoon commander and mm. They were, they were a hoot and a half. I mean, they just, they made me laugh. Uh, some of them made me want to scream, <laughs> but for the most part, they were, they were great. They were great human beings. I learned a lot from them. Um, and I, I hope they learned some things from me, but I definitely learned from them. So I loved being a, a platoon commander. I loved some of the challenges that came with it. Even even the not so great challenges, I really appreciated because I grew from them. Um, and I liked going to the field. There were times I didn't like going to the field because I wanted to be able to go work out every day, and I couldn't see so how to kind of get creative with, you know, your mm-hmm. field field gym. Um, but it was when I felt like. A Marine. It was when we were going out and doing the things that we were training for, and that was fun. And then one in particular uh, exercise I supported, uh, I went on a ship for two weeks, and I, I never had any aspirations to go on a Mew because I don't think I would want to be on a boat for that long. Um, but I really enjoyed this exercise because I was the only commo, and I was trusted to do the job and I was respected, and I really appreciated that. Um, you know, to be trusted and respected are two invaluable things, and that can go a long way. It's empowering, mm-hmm. and so when you're trusted and respected, you, know, you feel like you you've got what it takes, and just a little bit of that, you know, it was one of the best experiences I had. Mm. It really was. And yeah, it was cool to integrate with the Navy and. To, to learn about some of their traditions and customs. And it was really fun to get to know some of the Marines because I had Marines from three different units that I was overseeing. 
and, um, you know, getting to know them and seeing how good they were at their jobs. That was awesome. I mean, we got, we got pretty creative with some of our antenna <laughs> systems that we yeah. had up. Um, <clears throat> yeah. 550 cord, uh, SATCOM <laughs> antenna off the side of the ship, <laughs> you know, a little wow. questionable, but it worked. Right. So. So you enjoyed, you, you, it sounds like you really enjoyed being out in the field. Yeah. You mentioned that it, it made you feel more like a Marine. Yeah. Um, what type of things did you do in the field? Did you do, obviously, <laughs> obviously you had to shit and piss and did everything else, right? Yeah, well, okay. So we're, I was part of a logistics group, so we had porter dons. Mm. You know, we were, we were set up for the most part for success, um, but, you know, we had to set up an entire COC and, um, you know, that was a lot of work for a few hundred people. Um, you know, we had the tent set up with the laptops and, you know, the networking Marines were digging trenches to run fiber cables. And I was a radio platoon commander. We called it transmissions. Um, so we had the satellites and the VSATs and antennas and the radios and all that. So it was, it was fun. I mean, standing Siscon watch was not fun. I did not like doing that because you know you have to to brief, and there's usually someone who knows a little bit more than you, and those briefs tend to, to turn into just being grilled oh, <laughs> by yeah. that senior officer. Um, How long would you stay out in the field for? So <laughs> traditionally, it would be a, a two week exercise. Uh huh. In my company would have to be in the field for like six weeks. I mean, we were doing like a whole ITX out there, wow. basically, and um, you know, FO, fully operationally capable FOP is thirty-six hours. You should be able to set up a COC. And I'll never forget wondering why are we out here so stinking long? Like we're supposed to be up and ready to rock and roll in thirty-six hours. We should not need an entire month to do this. And you know, but I didn't make the rules. <laughs> it's probably a good thing. Mm. So, um, eventually, you met somebody special during your enlistment. I did. Yeah, let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, so, Nicholas Lasapio, Captain Nicholas Lasapio, um, I actually met him at, at Norwich. We went to school together. He was two years ahead of me. We weren't really in the same social circles, but I knew of him. He knew of me. We had some interactions. It wasn't until I was stationed on Camp Pendleton and organized a camping trip to Zion National Park, reached out to a couple of my friends from Norwich who were stationed at Pendleton, and I said, hey, guys, going on a camping trip, leaving this day, this time, with or without you. Um, invite whoever you want. And our really good friend, Marty Palermo, invited Nick and Nick was smitten. <laughs> he was very smitten and, um, yeah, he pursued me and I stiff armed him pretty hard. <laughs> um, I don't think I was ready to, to date again at that point. And he was very persistent and I eventually agreed to a first date. And it's actually kind of funny. After that camping trip, he, t he sent me a text and he said, hey, I was wondering if your dog was available on Tuesday. I have a dog. His name is Finnegan. He is my best friend. And I said, 
I mean, yeah, why are you asking if my dog's available on Tuesday? And he said, well, I, I don't have to work during the day because I'm flying at night. And I, I was just wondering if I could hang out with Finnegan. And I just thought that was the weirdest thing. And I was like, I mean, sure, if you want, but I, I have to work, you know, I'm going to be at work. And he said, oh, that's fine. You know, just leave a key under the mat or something. Okay. <laughs> and um, he goes, but I was wondering if maybe his mom was available later after that. <laughs> and I was like, you're ridiculous. Um, and sure enough, I mean, I was at work on Tuesday and he sent me a picture running with my dog. He took him on like a three mile run and, um, and my, my dog doesn't really like going on runs. So... <laughs> He ended up having to put like ice packs on his stomach because he was so hot. But it was just funny, you know. Wow. He, he went to my house and took my dog for a run. He got you. He he, he got you right in the feels. Asked asked your dog out before he did. you. Huh? He got me right in the feels. <laughs> um, you know. Then he asked if I wanted to go to the dog beach and then grab some beers, and I was like, no. And then he asked me to the ball like last minute. I'm not going to the ball with you. Like it's in two days. I need, I have like two days to find a I'm not going to the ball with you. And so I didn't go to the ball with him. Um, and then he was like, just, you know, just one date. And I remember talking to my gunny at the time I was, I was an opso for, for a comm company. And I was talking to my gunny. I was like, all right, guns, what do you think about this guy? You know, he's asked me out a bunch of times. He's a pilot. I went to Norwich with him. He seems like a quality guy. I just don't know if I'm ready to date. I don't want, you know, I don't want datey vibes right now. And he goes, well, you know, just go on a date with him. If it's not great, you don't have to go on another one. You know, just kind of see how it goes. And I said, all right, you're right. I'll go. So I agreed to go to dinner with him. And I mean, best date I've ever been on in my life. He uh, I met at his apartment. We had a glass of wine. We were just talking, kind of breaking the ice a little bit. Then we went wine tasting and then he took me to an art gallery and then he had reservations for dinner. And I mean, I, I have never been, I've never gotten this treatment before ever. Wow. And so I was pretty blown away by just the effort that he went through. And I thought it was really nice and well thought out and considerate. And we had the best conversation. I mean, we talked about life. We talked about personal boundaries. We talked about what we were looking for in a partner. And if we were to date, you know, what those expectations were. And it was the first time I'd ever had that kind of conversation with someone. And I was like... <laughs> I'm in trouble. <laughs> I think I'm in trouble. And it wasn't long we started dating. Yeah. Officially. Do you remember what you learned about him on that first date? That he was just ready for a change in his life. That, you know, he had had fun and he, he kind of got some things out of his system, but he was really just looking for something more consistent and something a little more grounding. And, you know, he was starting to think about his future and where he saw himself going and the kind of life he wanted to have and the freedoms that he wanted to have. And, um, I just thought it was really nice cause we were pretty much on the same page with what we wanted, you know, want to have a family one day maybe, but don't want to rush it. Don't mm. really want to rush anything. Just want to live and experience life and travel and 
explore and have fun. So I just, I really like that. Mm. I really like that about him. So you continued dating. We did. Yeah, we did. Um, so three months after we started dating, he deployed mm. to Kuwait. Um, and I remember him saying when he asked me officially if I wanted to date, um, he said, I totally understand if you don't want to do this, I'm, I get it. I'm deploying. We're going to spend the first six plus months of our relationship apart. So I totally get it if you're, you're not on board. And, and I just remember saying to him, if I don't say yes, I am going to miss out on like the greatest thing that could happen to me. So. I said yes um, and it was it was kind of great because I needed a little bit of time to work on myself and uh, so I used that that time to just transition out of the out of the Marine Corps um, I went on terminal leave that year and um, went on some cool trips and kind of just focused on on me and it was just really great to know I had someone in my corner who cared about me and supported me just kind of recentering, recharging. And then it was great to have someone to talk to and to support him and, you know, be a strong foundation for him while he was deployed. And it worked out great. Our communication was awesome. And, um, yeah, he came home in October 2019, I got out of the Marine Corps in 20, October 2019, and then I hit the corporate America. <laughs> mm. And um, that was an interesting transition. Um, COVID happened not long after. Well, <laughs> before we get into that, you mind, I'd like to know a little bit more about Nick. Um, yeah. Yeah. He's a pilot. Yep. Uh, what, what, what did he fly? So Nick is a V-22 Osprey pilot. Um, he was a weapons and tactics instructor. So that's like the equivalent of top gun. Oh, wow. Um, he's very, very, very good pilot. Mm. Um, very smart. An amazing instructor. I mean, you hear people still talking about how great of an instructor Nick was and he loved teaching. Like instructing was probably his favorite thing to do, um, because he was so good at it. Mm -hmm. And I think he was really passionate about giving some of the co-pilots a better experience than he had when he was a co-pilot. So just being a good dude, mm -hmm. you know, that goes a long way. And I think Nick did a great job at just being a good guy, um, and not being a jerk, mm. you know? Now, I understand uh, his nickname is Sloppy. Yeah, that was his call sign. Yeah. And it's actually been what we've called him since Norwich. Mm, really? Sloppio is his last name, and people would call him La Sloppio, and then <laughs> just Sloppy. And then that's just kind of, and it was a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer to the squadron to make mm. that his call sign. So, so it came about because of his last name. Yeah, it did. Oh, got it you. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, what else would you be able to tell us about Nick from, you know, we don't really know him. What would you want us to know yeah. um, about him, his personality? Yeah. Um, 
Um, Nick was larger than life. <laughs> There's some tissues down there for me, son. He was an amazing friend to people. Like he valued relationships with people and leaving people better than he found them. Um, he liked having fun. He loved drinking mimosas. <laughs> <laughs> he loved brunch. He loved the little things. You know, the little things brought him so much joy. Anything, anything that had to do with hanging out with his friends and people that he loved were what made Nick Nick. He had the most ridiculous laugh, and everyone said it was like a donkey, <laughs> donkey laugh. But you could literally hear it over crowds of people. You could point him out of a crowd. He was loud, and he was so loud. <laughs> um but he just, he had such a big heart. He had a lot of love to give. Um, he was passionate about things and he was so determined. But like everything he did, he did with purpose and conviction and um, in, in seriousness. Like safety, always paramount to him. Um, there were times he would come home just so angry at some people who were, you know, trying to take unnecessary risks in training environment. And he would say, we do not have to do this. You know, we're not in a combat zone right now. We don't have to take this risk. It's ridiculous. Or, you know, he could recite SOPs off the top of his head, uh, in the back from the back of his hand. He was, he was so well versed in the ins and outs of the aircraft protocols, SOPs, you name it. Um, and I think that's why people loved flying with him because he was a voice of reason. He was level-headed about things and he didn't take unnecessary risk. Safety was paramount. He knew how to fly the plane. He had some close calls before and he handled it perfectly. Um, and he was a great instructor. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> He'd been on three combat deployments. Mm. He, you know, people listened to him. Mm -hmm. He had the experience. And um, how long had he been in the? Um, oh, you said I think he was two years ahead of you. Or something? He was. Okay. So, by the time of the mishap, he had been in for just over eight years. Mm. Okay. Okay, so you were starting to talk about um, you transitioned out mm -hmm. and got into the corporate world. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, well, not long after, um, I yeah, not long after I got out in, in 2019, um, I was doing my corporate job for a little while, and then COVID happened in March, and everything shut down. So we started, you know, working from home, working remotely, and everything. And that was pretty nice, but I just. I don't think I was really happy. I didn't really know what I was doing or what I wanted to do with my life. And I just figured I'll use this time to explore a little bit. And um, I've been a big traveler and I like taking pictures of places I go and documenting it. So I started a little travel blog and 
Um, so I started doing a little bit more traveling during COVID to places I could go. Um, and then towards the end of 2020, or around September 2020, we got our first apartment together. Mm. And um, man, you learn a lot about a person <laughs> with each other. It was so funny. That same weekend we were moving in with each other, we took a sailing course together because we wanted to learn how to sail and we thought it would be a fun thing to do together and um, I don't know if you know this but the physics of sailing are very similar to the physics of flying I have no idea really I didn't know either mm. Nicholas made it a point to let me know mm. <laughs> and um, we would always joke that uh, Taking a sailing course is uh, a prerequisite to getting married to someone, and we realized that if we could survive a sailing course together, our marriage was going to be able to survive anything, um, or our relationship rather, because mm -hmm. uh, we weren't engaged yet. Um, it, it was it was very funny. He w he was getting quite frustrated with me. I was not conceptualizing the sailing as quickly as he was. <laughs> so, it was, um, I just remember us moving in that weekend and I'm just like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it was great. Um, it was, I'm so glad we, we did. Um, and then it wasn't long after we moved in together around Christmas that year. Uh, he came to Maryland to visit my family and, hmm. um, he asked my dad for his blessing. Oh, wow. Yep. Nice. And what did your family think about him? Oh yeah, they loved they loved him. Mm -hmm. I remember when I first introduced one of my sisters to him, she was like, "Oh yeah, he's great, very cute, minus the stash that can go." Because at the time he had a mustache. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of it, <laughs> but. Um, so you'd mentioned that, you know, when you move in with each other, you, you learn a lot of, more about each other. What kind of things did you learn about Nick from moving in with them? Just how we communicate, you know, and when you live apart, you have some space and distance apart, but then when you live with someone, you're like there all the time. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think we both needed to learn how to communicate with each other. And, you know, I realized that Nick really liked to run the dishwasher at night when we were watching a movie. <laughs> Stuff like that. And he realized very quickly that I'm a pretty controlling person and I like things a certain way in the house. And um, so like little things like that, they're just, they're very normal things. But when you first move in with someone, they tend to feel like very big things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. Right. Yes. Yeah. He proposed. So, um, we rented a Sprinter van, and we went to uh, Mammoth Lakes with some of our friends who were also Osprey pilots, mm. um, Mike and Trish. And um, we actually went to their secret wedding. We were witnesses at their secret wedding. So it was a very special weekend for all of us together. They knew that Nick was going to be proposing. Obviously, I didn't. But we all got in our Sprinter vans, and we went up to Mammoth Lakes, and... Uh, we hit up some hot springs, and then we went skiing. Um, but he was cooking dinner in a Sprinter van, and I, I was just walking around taking pictures of everything because that's just what I do. And he just kept 
sing. He called his nickname for me is Kale, and that's a long story. But <laughs> um, he kept saying like, "Kale, come on, your dinner's ready, come eat." And um, I'm like, "Hold on, I'm taking pictures." And he said, "Your dinner's getting cold. It would be really great if you came in and ate dinner." I'm like, okay, okay, I'm coming. And so I went in and sat down and he made tacos and put a whole bunch of guacamole in there. And I was sitting down in the Sprinter van. I'm stuffing my face with this taco. I mean, I had, it was gross. gross. I had guacamole all over my hands. Like I've never eaten something before, right? And I had it all over my face. It was a great look. And he knelt down and he just, yeah, asked me about the question. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, are you serious? Like, you know, just the whole wave of emotion I'm being, being yeah, proposed yeah. to. And, um, I remember being like, Nick, I have guacamole all over me. Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, and, um, he yells out of the sprinter van to our friends and he goes, guys, she said, yes. And our friend Trish said, what the fuck sloppy? I wasn't even ready. And apparently she was supposed to take pictures of everything. And that's one of the whole reasons why they were there is to take pictures. And so she runs over with her camera and she goes, what am I even supposed to take pictures of right now? So, um, but that was, I mean, that was just a great weekend. I, I could have asked for a better, I mean, he, he thought it all out. He planned it all. And it was just really sweet. He seems like an excellent planner. He's a good planner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was thinking that you were going to like, uh, that he put the ring in the taco and you're about to oh, eat the ring. No, or something. No. I was like, oh no, don't tell me you're going to choke no. on the ring. Thank God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, and you weren't expecting that at all, huh? I, so I had this little inclination because I would always plan our trips. I would always plan our trips and mm-hmm. I always drove like, Nick likes to fly planes. He doesn't like driving on long road trips. And he would always complain when we were going on a long road trip. And if he had to drive, he would only drive for like an hour. And then he would say that he was tired. Like, you drive now. So, all right. Mm. So the, he drove the entire the entire way. Mm. And he planned all of it. And I'm like... Wow. It's so beautiful up there, too. Oh, it was so nice. And it was in January. So mm. it was cold. And you know, the hot springs are really nice. And you just... It was... It was awesome. Hmm. Yeah. So did you guys get to like wedding planning and stuff? We did. So um, this was 2021. So January 2021, he proposed. Um, I started planning probably around March. Um, But he went to WTI in March and then had to do some deployment workups because right after WTI, like three days after he graduated, he went right on deployment. So he was deployed most of 2021. What's WTI? It's the Weapons and Tactics Instructor okay. School. So that's where he got that certification mm. and um, like the Top Gun level. Nice. Um, and so I had been planning the wedding that whole year and I bought a house. So I moved us into our home, started renovating it, getting some things ready for when he came back from deployment. and. Um, because, you know, we had talked, we were tired of renting, and we were in a place where it made sense that we could we could buy, and interest rates were low and all that. So we went we went for it, and, um, yeah, so we had settled on a, a really pretty venue in Fallbrook, and it was like this Italian villa sort of venue all outside. It was very pretty, and we had planned our uh, honeymoon, and we were hoping to go through Italy and 
Um, everything was booked. You know, had the dress, had the venue, had the photographer, had the DJ, flowers, <laughs> all that stuff. And um, yeah, he came back in. So he, so I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. He got back from deployment in October, 2021. We did our engagement pictures that month. Um, we had Christmas and, you know, mm. ended up getting COVID. <laughs> mm. Like and most of us. Kind of ruined our, our New Year's plans. Mm. Um, and then we did some pretty special things together from January until June. We, I got to watch him fly with one of his buddies in Santa Barbara mm. um, and our really good friends, Lauren and Nick. Um, so we took a trip there. It was Valentine's Day. I got mm. to watch him fly on Valentine's Day. Nice. Um, March, we hit up Puerto Rico and explored there for a little bit and then spent a few days in Miami. And in April, we did some fun hiking in San Diego. And mm -hmm. May, his sister came to visit. Um, oh, we celebrated our birthdays in March too. That was fun. And um, I took him dirt biking in April. That's something he really wanted to do for his. He had been saying for years that he wanted to just go dirt biking through the desert. So I took him down to Acatillo. Nice. And we did that. And that was really fun. And. And yeah, in May, um, his sister visited, and then a week and a half later, he was gone. Hmm. So, if you would, you know, talk to me about that day. Um, mm. Yeah. Um, we woke up at like 5 a.m. the night before his. Well, actually, I want to say something pretty significant the night before. Um, the night before he came home early from work and he brought me a dozen roses. Mm. He, he had always gotten me flowers just to be nice. Um, and like times I would go to the field, I would come home and there'd be a bouquet of flowers at my door, but I have never gotten a dozen red roses from him. Um, and he had written me a two-page letter of how much he loved me. And not many people know that. Just our close friends and family. But it was almost like God knew I was gonna need that as a reminder. Um, we had some chicken wings in our air fryer <laughs> for dinner, and we watched an episode of Vikings. And we were just on the couch, and our dog was in the middle of us, and I remember him saying, all right, it's time for bed, because I have to fly in the morning. And I was disappointed, because I just wanted to stay up and hang out and talk. But... You know, I never questioned that. You know, you gotta fly, so you gotta sleep. So we went to bed and woke up at five the next morning and he, he made sure to wake me up because I had been 
going to the gym in the morning before work. And I remember, like, I remember he took a shower. He did his normal routine, combing his hair. I made us coffee, like I did every morning, and um, said, I love you. And every time he would fly um, and he'd you know, leave the house, I would always say, I love you. Have a safe flight. Text me when you land. I always made him text me when he landed. And, um, you know, he said, bye, kill person. That's what he called me, kill. Bye, kill person. Have a good day. And I just, you know, I love you. Um, and I was working remotely, so during my lunch break that day, I was, I was painting some trim in my living room. I had just gotten a new rug for our living room and I was just like one step closer to making the living room complete and I wanted to surprise him. So I was painting the trim, caulking <clears throat> on my lunch break and um, I went back to my desk to start working again and I got a text from someone that said, hey, is Nick flying today? And I said, oh yeah, he's flying this morning. And they're like, okay. And I said, why? And they just said, I'm just wondering. And it was a little off and out of the blue. So I thought it was a little bit weird, but I didn't think about it. Um, so this was probably around like one o'clock in the afternoon. And by 3 p.m., my aunt texted me and she said, Oh my gosh, Kelsey, I just heard about the Osprey crash in San Diego. Please tell me Nick is okay. And when I read that, it was 3.30 p.m. And my heart dropped because he had an early morning flight. And he would have texted me. And he did. The thing is, he did text me at 11.45 saying, Hi, I love you. And I'd have a screenshot of the text message and I was painting the trim. And so I didn't see it until I went to sit down at my desk again. And I said, I love you. Um, I love you too. And the message turned green. And I thought it was odd because he always had his phone when he flew. And so messages would turn blue mm -hmm. and, um, it turned green and like, that's odd, you know? And so I went back to look at the text and I was like, Oh my gosh. I said, you know, hi, I, I need you to call me like as soon as you get this. And I didn't hear from him and I texted him again. I'm like, you, you better call me and nothing. And I just, I, I never worried about Nick when he was flying ever. I mean, he was such a good pilot. I never worried about him. I never questioned. I never, the thought never even crossed my mind that something bad would ever happen to him. And I just remember having like this out of body experience of just pure panic. Like, like when a mom loses their kid in the park and you can't see them or like in the store, it's like that feeling of just panic. And I remember being like, it's him. I know it's him because he would, he would have texted me. He would have said that he was okay. It's him. I and I was like, I need to, I need to take a shower, because I'm gonna need to go to him. I'm gonna need. I, I just thought, he's not gone. He's just hurt, and so I'm gonna need to go to him and go to the hospital or something and take care of him. So I need to take a shower. So I hop in the shower and I'm 
clean up real quick. And I'm just like frantically, like, what do I do? And I just stopped working completely. I just left my computer and I called my friend. Um, and I said, have you heard from your husband? Her husband was in the same squadron. And she said, no. I said, okay, there's been an accident. Um, I don't, I think it's Nick. And I tried calling, obviously I tried calling Nick and he didn't answer. I tried calling his best friend who was in another squadron down at Miramar and I was able to get through to him and he said, you know, Kelsey, this, I heard about the crash, you know, it's likely that you're not hearing from them because, you know, you go into River City when there's a, a crash and that's where they, you know, they take forms of communication and you can't contact anybody. But I'm like, okay, well, you're also an officer pilot and I was able to get through to you. So it was not a squadron at Miramar and it happened in El Centro and that's where Nick was flying today. And I can't get in touch with anybody from the purple foxes. It's him. And so I just, um, called my friend. She came over, um, she sat with me and then my other friend came over and sat with me and we just waited and 9.25 p.m. Two Marines and Chaplin were at my door. <laughs> and I remember like getting the knock and I knew, I knew what it was. <laughs> and the whole walk down the hallway, I was like, please God, <laughs> please let it not be this. <laughs> and it was, two of our really close friends and their alphas and I was like overwhelmed but there was like something in my brain and I don't know if it's like I don't know if it's like a like a response like a, like a shock or like a trauma response or a flight or flight but I just remember, just, I felt like my body went rigid and I like squared up and I was like, okay, what do I need to do? But I was like, I was numb. I was like crying, but I wasn't. And I was just like, this can't be real. This can't be real. And I couldn't breathe and I felt like my chest was going to explode and I just remember, remember thinking like I don't want to be alive like I don't want to be here mm. and we were 58 days from getting married and we had talked about eloping we talked about doing the courthouse thing so many times but we ended up agreeing that we really just wanted to enjoy every step of our relationship and not do it for the benefits because so many people do. We just wanted to do it the right way. And um, I just never got to do that. And I couldn't call his family because they hadn't been notified yet. So I knew, <clears throat> I knew they didn't even know there was a crash. So I knew for about six and a half hours that there was a crash and I did not want to alarm them or like make 
you know, put any unnecessary fear, worry, because it's not appropriate. It's not a good thing to do. Mm -hmm. And um, I found out before they did, and um, I couldn't call them until mm. they were notified. That must have been hard. Yeah. How have you coped with it? Um, how have you, you're, you'll never move past it. Obviously, he'll always be a big part of your life. Yeah. But what do you do every day to wake up every morning? You know what I mean? And, and, and keep your mental state of mind mm -hmm. as healthy as you can get it. Yeah. Um, I will say the mornings and the nights are the toughest still. Um, I try to find purpose in my life because I'm determined that the purpose I have now is to keep Nick's legacy alive. And I can't do that if I'm not here. You know, mm. and I can't do that if I'm not mentally here either. So I try to find purpose in my day and I try to welcome the emotions as they come and sit with them and not suppress them, but just like be with them. And if I'm having a day where I can't function, then I don't make myself function. I just exist because it gives me energy to exist on days that I can a little bit better, you know. Mm. So. I um, I ran the Marine Corps Marathon in in honor of Swift 11, so Nick and, and his crew, and just running really helped give me something to focus on. Mm -hmm. I've, I've never really been a naturally gifted runner, mm -hmm. um, and I had, I've never had any aspiration to run a marathon <laughs> ever in my life. So, I but I just figured it would be a good a good thing to pour my energy into. And it kept me going. It kept me moving and focusing on something positive. Um, God, I mean, whatever your higher power is or whatever anybody believes in, that's, you know, their business. But God's definitely been, for me, what's kept me going and waking up. And he often reminds me that there's work to do, and that's why I'm still here. Mm. Um, and... I really believe that our pain can be used to be a blessing to other people. Absolutely. So what that looks like, I'm trying to discover and figure out. Um, I think just being authentic and letting people see my process, I'm hoping that it, it gives people hope. Um, and then I'm, you know, I'm determined to start a foundation to help people who are in my shoes. Mm. That's the, the fiance, the, the not married, um, you know, there's, there's not much support you get when you're not married to the, a service member who passes. Um, you don't really rate anything. Mm. And, um, that's been the biggest struggle is, that a piece of paper has been like the determining factor of validating a relationship. And I know in my heart that I don't need a piece of paper, right? But mm -hmm. it has been like, I don't know what the term is, but there's collateral trauma 
in a way mm-hmm. and feeling that our relationship didn't matter or exist in the eyes of certain people, organizations, the government, etc. has been hard. Um, and I just, I want to be able to help people who are, are me because mm. there are a lot of people, there are, there are spouses out there who do rate things who are not getting the support they need. And so I'm very determined to financially resource others in my shoes. That's yeah. awesome. I think that would be a super impactful organization yeah. to start. That's that's amazing because there's yeah. definitely more people that are in your exact same situation, yeah. right? Um, yeah. So that'd be amazing. And anything we can do to help, uh, we'd love to. So Thank you. we'll talk about that, sure. you know. Um, but we're getting ready to wrap it up. Um, any last words? Um, yeah, I just to kind of go off of who Nick was and to veterans and those who are active duty listening in or watching this, um, just the value of relationships and connections with people are, it's invaluable, you know, it's, it's priceless. And if you can invest in people and build strong relationships, that's, that's how people will remember you, you know, you don't have to be a war hero or, you know, do anything grand in life. But people will remember how you made them feel. And, and Nick was, he was, he was that guy. And he made it a point to get together with the people in his squadron. He made it a point to build relationships with them. He made it a point to get to know them and to care about who they are and what they liked. And, uh, you know, that's a sign of a really good leader. It's a sign of a really good person. Um, but, but those relationships are worth more than gold, really. Um, so, you know, find your people, um, you don't have to do anything alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have to do anything alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if anything, in this experience, it's been the most humbling experience of my life. The amount of people who have, who have rallied to help me and who have been supporting me and encouraging me and lifting me up. I don't know what I would have done without that. Um, I'm a pretty independent and proud person. I don't like asking for help, but there have been plenty of times in my life where I've had to, and I've not regretted it once. Mm-hmm. And so whatever it is that you might be dealing with or going through, don't have to do any of it alone. Mm-hmm. Kelsey, thank you um, for just having the courage to sit here and tell your story and also just allowing us to be able to contribute to keeping Nick's memory alive. It's a, you know, we talked about this beforehand. Um, it's a huge, huge deal for us and, um, we're happy to do it. And it's just an honor for you to be here and share your story with us. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot. Push it to the limit. I can't go no more. Red light.